Welcome to the Memory Hole Show, where we talk about interesting ideas, promote freedom, and push back against authoritarianism. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome back, everyone. Despite living in Canada where it's cold, the neighbors and I got together for some street barbecue again, and it was fun as usual. Even Tracy came out. She's always a riot. Okay, so this week I wanted to cover part of an episode that I heard by Joe Rogan. His guest raised some very interesting questions that got me thinking about how to make the world a better place, especially considering all the madness that's going on in it. But before I jump in, I have a question of my own. Have you seen that unclicked subscribe button? It's not a software bug. It really does need to be clicked. Just think of the benefits. As a result of clicking that subscribe button, more people will find the show. More people will be on the side of freedom. It's a good deal, right? All for the small price of clicking that little subscribe button. Now, if you're still listening to the show, to the episodes on memoryholeshow.com, I really do appreciate it, but we could move that to the next level. Any help in sharing, liking, and subscribing to the show is really helpful, and I thank you all for your support over the last year. And now let's jump into the episode. It's scary to think that the value of freedom is being lost these days. Dystopian ideas like the 15-minute city, digital IDs, central bank digital currencies, and the known traveler digital ID are all being normalized so people will more easily accept the trap they're being put in. What these schemes really tell you, though, is what the people implementing them think about you and your rights. Not very much. Which is why the pushback against these schemes really needs to also provide an alternative vision of the future. So while I was listening to that Joe Rogan episode number 1933, I heard Jordan Peterson talking about creating such a vision. Now this is a positive because if there's anyone that can clearly wade through such a complex problem, it would be him. And on the idea of how to organize society, he came up with a series of questions. These questions which would be answered by large groups of people from various backgrounds, would create a dialogue that would expose what people value and want. The current dystopian solutions that are being proposed are all designed to limit human flourishing. Take the website footprintcalculator.org, for instance. They ask you a series of questions about your lifestyle, and after answering them, they tell you how many Earths would be needed to sustain your life. It's like a guilt score. And they teach kids in classrooms using tools just like this. So what are some of the solutions they provide? Renewable energy, which is pretty much useless since it doesn't provide steady power and it's not very energy dense. Plus, to make these large wind and solar farms, they have to wipe out large areas of land. And don't forget, solar panels and wind turbines don't magically appear out of thin air. They have to be mined from resources and that's also not good for the environment. Now, another solution they talk about is food and the need to cut back on meat and anything to do with animals. And of course, lastly, a list like this wouldn't be complete without discussing the population of the planet. As in, you got it, there's too many people. You can see from sites like these that their solutions will always come at your expense. And that's the difference with Peterson's questions. He takes a pro-human approach, which is pretty much the opposite of what the WEF types do. So consider Peterson's first question. How do we get energy and resources at the lowest possible cost 
as rapidly as possible to the largest number of people around the world. Energy, as I've often spoken about on this show, is universally the most fundamental building block of modern society. The only difference between humans now and humans 10,000 years ago is energy, which is why I think so much screwing around with energy is happening these days. Control energy, control everything. We've seen big price increases with our energy costs, and this is exactly the opposite of what we need to do. It's like the people have forgotten about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At the very bottom of that pyramid is food, clothing, and shelter. Without those items, you won't really care about the tiers above. And notice what is missing from that bottom tier, the environment or climate change. Because when you're starving, who really cares about having a long-term vision related to having a clean environment? You might not be alive next week. So the benefit of providing cheap, reliable power to as many people as possible, which would raise, not lower, their standards of living, is that people will be lifted out of poverty. It's only once they're free from starvation and poverty that they will have concerns about things like the environment. It's genius, and it's not anti-human. You can reduce suffering and save the planet. Okay, so the second question that Peterson asked was, what are the major problems that are confronting us? So imagine you could survey hundreds and hundreds of people asking them what are the top 10 or 20 or even the top 100 problems that need to be fixed in the world. From that list, you would need to prioritize which things could be done first. You would have to also attach a price tag to each of those things and that might affect your decision making. Well, fortunately, Bjorn Lomborg was involved in exactly such a project. He asked many experts from different types of fields from all around the world to generate such a list and attach prices to solving those things. He released the findings in a book called How to Spend $75 Billion to Make the World a Better Place. So guess what kind of things always ended up at the top of the list? Malnourishment, hunger, and disease. Guess what consistently made it to the bottom of the list? Climate change. See, starvation is immediate and painful. It's very personal. Climate change, on the other hand, is abstract and in the future. If you look at the list, the problems that people are concerned about directly affect people rather than nature. And this is what I find disturbing about these WEF types. These powerful people have a top-down vision. They don't care about your needs. You're at the bottom to them. But in their determination of what should be done, it's not them that pay the price for the decisions. It's us. We are the ones that are forced to make the sacrifices to our lives in this model. And they get all the benefits. That's why accountability is so important. And that's why we rarely see it with politicians. Imagine if politicians paid for their mistakes instead of us. What a different world we'd live in. Okay, so Peterson continues with his third question. How do we arrange systems of governance to stop the march of something like pathological gigantism? We saw with COVID how bad regulatory capture really is. And with the Twitter files dumps, we saw how bad this fascistic collusion between the government and social media is. The information manipulation, which effectively controls what people can see and therefore think, goes very, very deep. It seems like every entity that should be separate are all colluding together. They've all merged together with their common narrative. Now, it's difficult to say why this happens, but one thing is for sure. It seems like all these entities just got too big. 
once they got too big, they seemed to lose their purpose. You can see this with the government, the media, tech companies, and even government entities like the FDA and the CDC and all the other ones. This bigness factor detaches them from reality. It's like they get impervious to the outside world and to being influenced. Whatever their original purpose was, getting too big wiped that out. What's dangerous with their common narrative is that it's a homogenous belief system. By putting all the belief eggs into one basket, we risk a great deal. It implies that they got everything right. And combined with that, you can't question their narrative. At least they don't like it when you do. But history shows, like Galileo, that countering the narrative is often how we advance. Paradigm shifts advance society. With homogenous thinking, we don't get these paradigm shifts. Okay, so this next question really surprised me. Peterson asked, what should the story be? Now, this question was interesting. I definitely wouldn't have thought about this question. But having thought about it since listening to the episode, it is true. Stories are all around us. That's what books and movies are. That's what your life is. That's also what the WEF dystopian vision of the future is. And that's also what the woke narrative is as well. So I guess it makes sense to ask, what is the story we want to live in? Do we want to all be considered as victims, like in the idiotic woke narrative, that white people are all powerful and privileged and to not be white is to be oppressed? You know, having a victim-focused paradigm like that is terrible. That mindset affects everything you do. And that's not good for you or for anyone else. It's a terrible story. Okay, so what about the story that you hear out of universities, which says that power governs everything? Apart from being false, how will that mindset affect your behavior and interactions with everyone else you run into? That's like having a constant win-lose competition going on. Now, ironically, people that push the everything is power narrative, you know, fight the evil patriarchy types, they're perfectly okay with power so long as it's them that's in control of it. Hypocritical to say the least. It reminds me of history stories about the proletariat wanting to overthrow the bourgeoisie. Fight the power, fight the man, but once we're in charge, we'll, well, we'll rule over you and it'll be okay. Because, you know, we're the good guys, obviously. And that's the irony. All that power, it corrupts everyone that gets it. That's why the power story fails. It implies that the power structure is bad, but the solution to the power structure is to impose your own power structure. They simply want to be the rulers. They can't claim that they don't want to be in charge over others. They can't because according to their doctrine, everything is about power. So somebody has to control it. And, you know, there's no benign version of this. It's just a matter of which dog gets to eat which dog. Okay, so those are the stories that we have floating around society right now. But what I think the story should be, one that is needed the most, is one that focuses on voluntary interactions. Get rid of coercion and using force on people. Let people live their own stories so long as they don't prevent others from doing the same. Peterson describes this as an ordered freedom. Get yourself in order, then help your family, then community, then larger and larger. So once again, Stephen Covey's circle of concern versus circle of influence applies. Until you master yourself, or at least head in that direction, you won't be effective in fixing more than yourself. Your circle of concern will always be large, and your impact on it will be small. 
Fixing yourself gives you the skills to move to the next level. It improves your ability to fix things, to make things better, to have a positive impact. Notice how this model doesn't compel everyone else to live in your own story. That's the beauty of voluntary interactions. The key to this model is that you have to be accountable for yourself. It starts with you, not someone else. Someone else isn't responsible for cleaning up your room. Don't forget, everything that you should do but don't will be at risk of being done by somebody that doesn't give a crap about you at all. That is why you should be accountable for yourself. So what did you think about those questions? Which one did you like the most? Which one got you thinking about what we could do to turn around the direction that we're heading in? I don't know. To me, I really like the story one because I think stories do move people a lot. They, they motivate, they inspire, they can really have a big impact. Okay, so that's it for this week. Next week, I'm going to be covering an experiment that is actually quite an interesting parallel to reality. So in the meantime, share, like, subscribe, do whatever you need to do. Head on over to MemoryHoleShow.com or you can hit me up on Twitter at MemoryHoleShow. Oh yeah, and if you have a chance, head on over either to YouTube or to Rumble. Search me up, The Memory Hole Show. You can see my little short videos that seem to have been already shadow banned or whatever. But anyways, until next week, speak up or you'll get memory hold. All content from the MemoryHoleShow.com and the Memory Hole Show podcast is for the purpose of entertainment and presented solely as opinion.